Hello, everyone. Uh, first of all, uh, our learning tonight should be as a as a merit for the for those four people who were killed today in in Israel. Um, we call them kedoshim. We call them holy ones. We call them holy ones, even though we don't know if they live their life on a holy level. We don't know how holy they are in this world. But what we know is that if you die for no other reason than that because you're Jewish, by definition, that makes you a holy person. So they, they are the holy ones. That's how, that's how we would describe them right now. So in, in the memory of those four holy people died today. Can I'm you, on that note. I'm sorry. I, I, this is news to me. What, what there, there was a terrorist attack in Tel Aviv. Not in Tel Aviv, I'm sorry. In, um, in Beersheba. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, what, yeah it was in the, in the big uh, mall. I called my brother who lives in Beersheba, but he hasn't heard about, about it, so he was okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, the it leads me to, to Jonathan's question on the WhatsApp chat. Um, so jo Jonathan had asked, I don't know if everybody saw that Jonathan had asked, well, it has the, um, has COVID, has COVID reached the level of where we would define it as, um, as a plague, you know, in terms of being like what we would call a maca, like a, a um, a, a strike, so to speak, uh, you know, a patch, a patch from Hashem, a, a sign that we're not doing the right thing. Um, I, I think it is important to say, yeah, yes, the answer is, of course, of course, this is a heavenly decree. The idea of the COVID itself is definitely a heavenly decree. Um, I, I think what's important to recognize also is, I, I really should clarify something that I said last night. When I was talking about the nature of how to define a plague, that it has to be a city of 500 people losing one individual per day for three days straight. And then you extrapolate, you know, that ratio staying the same. I think what's important to recognize is that that's not for the purposes, I made a mistake last night, so I'm clarifying this. It's not to define it as being what we call a sign from the heaven that our behavior is not where it ought to be. That bar is reached at a lower level. This is a specific idea that when there is a plague, we have to start acting in a different way. We have to start fasting. There's different, uh, you know, halakhic ramifications if we can define it as a, uh, you know, as a plague in a legalistic term. So th that level has not been reached with COVID, right? So the, the answer to your question is yes. The, 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 the fact of the matter is we are not losing one five hundredth of the population each day, three days in a row. That, that obviously is not happening with COVID. Not, not, not to belittle the lives we have lost, but that, that far has not been reached. In terms of it clearly being a sign from heaven, it absolutely is a sign from heaven. What the sign is, that, that's the difficult thing. And I mentioned this in the past, I think it bears repeating. Rev. Aaron Leib Steinman, who passed away at the age of 104 in 2016, was a very wise man, but a very humble man. And when he was ever approached after some incident that would you know, clearly seem to be some sort of divine decree, and people would come over to him and say, you know, Rabbi, I think the reason why this is happening is because people are not careful with, you know, X, Y, and Z. And his response would always be to say, is this something that you personally have a problem with? You know, he's like, no, no, God forbid, I don't have a problem with it. He said, how about first figure out what your issues are before you start looking at other people's issues? Right? So, so I think the answer is that whenever we see a divine decree, our very first idea has to be, don't try to figure out on a societal level what needs to change. That's going to be very difficult to accomplish. Try to figure out what you can do better, how you can be better. And that should be your focus. And, you know, like I said, 
and mentioned this one in the past as well, right? The, the, the Rebbe, the Rebbe of Zusha said that when he was young, he thought he could change the world. As he got older, he thought maybe he could change his village, his family, and then he realized it's hard enough to change himself, right? So when, when something like this happens, it certainly is a sign from the heaven. What that sign is, we're not prophets. We don't know the answer, what that sign is. Can we make suggestions? Can we try to guess? We can try to guess, but I think each individual person can figure out on their own where, which areas need strengthening, which areas need to be changed. And that, that's something that I think everyone can start with on their own. Okay. So let's get up to, so we're up to page 218 and number 55. And what we're talking about is the idea that the, 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 the Jewish people themselves, both in terms of how things happen to us when things are going for the good and when things are going, unfortunately, not for the good, we are distinguished from all the other nations of the world. That itself becomes a method, sort of a chariot for how Hashem distinguishes himself in this world. The Kuzari said, this is a source of great pride for the Jewish people. And you have provided a fascinating explanation. Indeed, the fact that God became renowned to the entire world through Israel is evident in scripture. As it says, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an eternal name. You took your nation out of Egypt with a mighty hand and made for yourself a name that you have to this day. And to make you higher than all the other nations that he has made for praise, for a name, and for glory. Right. So once again, we're continuing this concept of how through, through us, Hashem becomes glorified. Right. That doesn't mean to say that we are, you know, something more special than Hashem or God forbid or anything of that sort. But it's because through the way that which we behave and how it becomes a direct, direct uh, echo of our behavior is found in the way Hashem treats us. As I said, the way the Jewish people are treated and singled out from amongst all the other nations, both for the good and for the bad, is the way in which Hashem manifests his presence in this world. The rabbi said, see how greatly King David praised the Torah. He began with a discussion of the sun in the psalm. The heavens relate God's glory. He recounted the sun's encompassing light, its purity, its straight course, and its visible beauty. Immediately afterwards, he stated that God's Torah is pure and revives the soul, and so on. It was as if he was saying, do not be amazed by these descriptions of the sun, for the Torah is even brighter, more pervasive, and ubiquitous, more beneficial, and loftier. I want to look at the footnote, because the footnote is actually going to write what he said about the sun. Regarding the sun, the psalm states, God made a tent for the sun in the heavens, and the sun is like a groom leaving his wedding canopy, rejoicing like a mighty hero to run its course. One end of the heavens is its origin, its course runs to the other end, and nothing is hidden from its heat. Okay? And that is in the description of the sun. So the way that King David describes the sun is using an analogy of something on earth, as something that we can relate to, and a human leaving their canopy, the wedding canopy. Now, that itself is only for the method of then getting to the next level of the muscle of the parable, which is that the sun, it, the brightness of the sun and how it, it changes the entire earth and how you can track the trajectory of the sun, which we, we know you can, and, you know, until, until Congress starts messing with it, right? But, but we can track the sun, right? And we know that the sun is going to be, the earth is going to be slowly tilting. And as it tilts, more and more of the earth is going to end up being you know, exposed to the sun, and then the rest of the earth is no longer going to be exposed to the sun. This is something which is integral to human life's continuum. Now, that being said, the Torah is even brighter, more pervasive and ubiquitous, more beneficial and loftier. Were it not for the Jewish people, the Torah would not have been given. Furthermore, Israel's lofty status was not an outcome of Moshe's merit, 
On the contrary, Moshe's status was grounded in the merit of Israel. God's love could not emanate without a multitude of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob present to receive it. God merely chose Moshe as the vehicle to bring his goodness to the people. We are therefore not called the nation of Moshe, but rather the nation of God. As it says, these are the people of God and the people of the God of Abraham. Okay? So the, the, the Torah itself, which ends up as the purpose for the world, and can only be given to the Jewish people. And could it, and they could only have been given to the Jewish people because we are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. And it could only be given to the Jewish people when we have a multitude of us acting in tandem. And Moshe is nothing more than just the conduit to, to give to convey the message of the Torah to the Jewish people. Let us return to our discussion of the ascetic practices of other religions. Genuine divine service cannot be gauged by fancy words or by the lifting of eyebrows heavenward or by the closing of the eyes or by an increase in supplications and prayers or by any other gesture or utterance which is not followed by action. Rather, genuine sentiments can only be gauged by deeds which are inherently difficult for one to perform, but that one nevertheless does with great desire and love, such as making a pilgrimage to a designated location three times a year. The same applies to deeds which seem to involve great expenditure and sacrifice, yet which the individual does with great happiness and joy. And a fascinating idea, right? He's saying there are two different ways that we could possibly use a metric to figure out what is hard, what is a difficult deed for us to do in this world. So you can say when we hold ourselves back from doing something that we truly desire to do, that takes true stamina, that takes true courage, that takes boldness, forbearance, and that is a way of showing genuine divine service, right? Which would be more of an abstinence type level. He says, that's not true though. You know, the true, true high levels of genuine divine service would be to act in a positive way, but completely directed, completely for the sense and the sake of fulfilling the commandment of Hashem when it is difficult. That's far more difficult to do something that is difficult than it is to abstain from doing something that itself is difficult to abstain from. Okay. Why is that? It's, it's kind of human nature kind of human nature that it is more difficult to do an action than it is to abstain from doing an action, even if it is an action that we desire, as opposed to an action that we desire not to do. It's still considered more difficult to do the positive action when we desire not to do it, than to not do a negative action that we desire to do. And therefore, genuine divine service cannot be based or grounded in saying, I'm not doing something that I want to do. The higher level is going to be doing something that I desire not to do, but doing it anyways. That's the highest level of divine service. Okay, we continue tomorrow night, and we'll go through some of these examples of difficult things to do, difficult positive commandments, but that when you carry it out properly, that's the highest level of divine service, as opposed to the concepts of the philosophers and the Stoics, that we should be living our life, you know, abstaining from anything worldly at all. Okay, take care, guys. Be well. Good night.